The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, retail, or maybe I should say fashion retail. Let's get started. Hey, New York Fashion Week just wrapped up. And guess what? Fashion retailers are now under more competitive pressure than ever to deliver Most of you will know what I'm talking about with this next phrase, retail therapy experiences that meet, consistently meet or exceed their customers' expectations. And because we as customers, and we're all consumers of something, we shop brands, not channels, retailers have to now deliver at all points along the shopping journey. But how can they do it? There are so many points. We have a panel of great experts. They're passionate on this topic. They're going to bring energy, expertise, and a lot of great insights. So if you're just a shopper, I say that advisedly, or if you're in the retail business and particularly fashion, listen up. You're going to learn a lot. First, I'd like to introduce Scott McCain. He is an expert on distinction. And Scott sent me the following quote. Listen up. The attributes that many retailers believe make their customer experience differentiated in the marketplace are precisely the same ones that competitors are promoting as their points of uniqueness. So, Scott McCain, how can everybody be the same and be unique at the same time? Welcome, Scott. How are you? Well, I'm terrific, Bonnie. Thank you for asking. They can't be. It's amazing Mm -hmm. to me how many fashion retailers promote that, oh, we have a great customer experience, or, you know, we care about you, or we'll help you with personal shopping. And then you go to the next store, and they're saying the same thing, as if that's what makes them unique or if that's what makes them different. You know, fashion is subjective, not objective. And so part of what we have to do is to connect with the emotions in a unique way of shoppers. And I don't see a whole lot of stores doing that extraordinarily successfully. Scott, I've, I've always had an issue with people say, come to my store. We have a unique something. We have a unique this. We have unique dishes. We have unique dresses. And I'm saying, Really? Really? With retail global and with anybody can import anything or get it online. Is there anything? So does this boil down, Scott McCain, does this boil down to the fact that the experience is all that can be unique anymore because perhaps the goods are not? What's your POV on that? Oh, you know, it it was said in Harvard years ago, there were three places where you could differentiate product, price, and service. But now we find it's harder to differentiate product before. How how quickly do we see knockoffs after Fashion Week? You can find them online immediately. Price, how do you compete on price? Then people are loyal to the price, not loyal to you. So that service, that experience we're creating, I think, Bonnie, is is the critical and perhaps solitary way that, that fashion retailers can differentiate in the marketplace. 
And I hope they're listening up, Scott, because you and your co-panelists are going to share a lot of these words of wisdom that may be so blatantly obvious, yet so hard to grasp and settle into. I think you'll agree with me. Thank you, Scott McCain. Great intro to our topic. Let's go to Vicki Cantrell. She's a Senior VP of Communities and Executive Director of Shop.org at the National Retail Federation. Vicki has been on with me before. We're delighted to have her back. And here's her quote. It's from Vicki Cantrell, combined. In quotes. Listen up, everyone. Perfection is the enemy of the good. Don't worry. Be crappy. Vicki, I still can't say that without laughing. How are you today, Vicki Cantrell? Just fine, Bonnie. Uh, good to be here today. Thank you. So talk to me. We've revived this quote from the last time you were on with us on the retail topic. Perfection is the enemy of the good. Don't worry. Be crappy. Talk to me. Well, when I said it before, uh, it was uh, the retailers really trying to understand their consumer and really not sure what they should dive into. So many options, whether it be social or experience or uniqueness and all of those things. And so in some ways they were frozen with what to try next, but they really have gotten over that. They've overcome it. They don't wait till it's perfect. They really understand this mentality of get out there, try it. Uh, fail fast. Fail fast is really important and retail has really adopted. But the reason I think this quote is still important is because now what we see is this comes down to areas that are uh, very specific. So in other words, mobile. This is really an important thing still with mobile. It changes continuously. The adoption grows by the minute. Uh, how people are shopping and utilizing their, their mobile options is changing by the minute. So this is where this quote still becomes really important. Keep trying. Don't worry. Be crappy. Uh, continue to increase and upgrade your mobile experience. Um, that's why I think it's still important. It still is. Vicki, I have a question for you. When you say mobile and retailer, are we talking mostly the lion's share of the mobile searchers, shoppers, browsers, whatever have you? Are they millennials, Gen X, Gen Y? Is there a, um, a generational skew to who is using these mobile channels? And does every fashion retailer need to embrace it 100% just in case their line of goods appeal to the younger people? What are your thoughts? Uh, I we used to say that it really had some uh, generational aspects to it, and it certainly still does. But when you see the adoption, those lines are blurring. And part of the reason those lines are blurring is it, it might be that the generations want something different from their mobile experience, but we have research that shows that between supplementing an in-store experience, uh, some want a reminder, okay, for uh, something specific, uh, local search is so important, and that mm. is something that everybody needs, regardless of their age. Uh, inventory availability, this is typical of every consumer. As soon mm. as they see that one retailer can offer something that they think is convenient or important, they expect every retailer to, to offer it. Store location direction still top of mind and most important, and so it really is crossing the generations. The older generation might not feel comfortable to actually execute on the sale, but believe me, they're using their mobile devices. 
Thank you, Vicki. Thank you very much. I just wanted to get that over with at the top in case retailers listen and saying, well, I really have a line skewed more towards seniors. Why would I? The answer is they've got kids, they've got grandkids, and they are more and more mobile every day. Thank you, Vicki Cantrell. Rounding out the panel is a newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Andrea France. She is the Retail Industry Principal in Fashion Apparel and Footwear at SAP. Yes, SAP is concerned with fashion apparel and footwear, so there. And Andrea sent me a wonderful quote from Coco Chanel. By the way, this is Coco Chanel's first appearance on SAP Game Changers Radio as well. Here's the quote. (laughs) Welcome, Coco. Bienvenue. Fashion is not something that exists in dresses only. Fashion is in the sky, in the street. Fashion has to do with ideas, the way we live, what is happening. What a beautiful quote. Andrea France, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. We're delighted. So talk to me. I'm, I'm thrilled to have Coco Chanel represented on the, on the show today. Uh, w- tell me about this quote. What does it mean to you and how does it relate to our fashionista topic today? Well, I just love this quote because too many people um, are limited in what they think fashion is. And the reason that I love this quote is because it, it really explains how fashion has to do with more of a mindset and what is happening around us rather than just a dress or a shoe or a trend. I think it's a beautiful way to explain the world that we live in and how we're affected by not only fashion, but pop culture, movies, television, and all those kinds of things that make up the world that surround us. Thank you very much, Andrea. I, uh, the era of Coco Chanel was an era of, of grandeur, wasn't it? There was a respect for fashion. It wasn't just something you'd, you'd think about just because you saw something in the store. It was all around her. It was, as she says in this quote, the way we live. It was an elegance. Am I right, Andrea? Do we still have that anywhere, that elegance? Um, I say it less and less. I really don't think people look at fashion this way. I, don't, I think they look at it as a limited a limited thing that doesn't really have upstream or downstream implications. It's just the way you dress. And I believe that fashion has so, has so much more to do with personality and mm-hmm. things about the way you live your life than just your clothing. I think you're right. And we all know when somebody walks in a room, we know when we see that elegance, it's their persona, it's their carriage. That's an old fashioned word, how they hold themselves. It's their attitude. It's the crispness of whatever they're wearing. Am I right, Andrea? You are just, absolutely it, right. It's almost an aura, and, and I miss it, but I, I know some people who are like that, and you just say, ah, <laughs> anyway, but I digress. In case our listeners haven't guessed, I'm going to be very focused now. Our topic today is Retail Update, Winning the Hearts, Minds, and Wallets of Fashionistas, and I'm going to broaden that to anybody who's into fashion, and we're talking about fashion retail today, of any age, any generation, any channel, but we're talking about it in a very pervasive way in terms of how are you going to get their money. That's really the bottom line. But before we go to break, I have a very important question for my panel, Scott McCain. What's in your cup today? I want a moment from you. Give me a little story. Wrap it up in a red bow, Scott. What are you drinking or what do you wish you were drinking? Talk oh, to Bonnie, me. When I listen to the program before I've, I've been a guest, I've, I've heard you ask that question. I, I have been stressing about that this morning because I'm, I'm traveling. <laughs> I gave a speech here in Orlando, Florida, 
yesterday and I'm flying to Austin, Texas when we get done. So I, I, I wish I had something more exotic to report, but I'm in a hotel room and I have a styrofoam cup of hotel coffee. Now, that's going to change when we get off the air because uh-huh. there, there is a uh, Starbucks in the lobby of the uh, Marriott World Center Hotel, so that will be changing shortly. But uh, I'm, I'm the typical traveler this morning, drinking uh, coffee in the hotel room. But it's, it's black coffee, and it's, it's not too bad for a hotel, I guess. Not too bad. Okay, nothing elegant, Scott, I have to ask you. Come on, take it a step further. When you're done with the show and you can get some real something to drink, what's it going to be? Come on, share. Oh, you know, I, I, I am a Sumatra fan, and so I, I, I've already checked, and that is the Boulder Brew of the Day at Starbucks in the hotel lobby. So, I, I, I you know, I, I love a, a deep, rich, dark coffee. I love it black. I don't want anything in it. And uh, that's, that's, that's my preference, no matter I how love exotic that. the the blends uh, or the offerings might be. Scott, I call that high test. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Bring it on, I mean, right? Bring spoon in it, it doesn't fall over to either side. <laughs> flow, that's right. It stands straight up. Thank you, Scott McCain. Vicki Cantrell, where are you calling from and what are you drinking today or what do you wish? I am calling from Washington, D.C., and uh, we have a really busy time here because we are in final prep mode for our our uh, biggest, one of our biggest events, our biggest digital event, uh, the Shop.org Summit next week in Seattle. So we are in full prep mode, which means we're very tired and lots of late nights. So this morning I have to uh, succumb to the extra cup of coffee, uh, a little more than I usually drink, uh, tried to get me through the day. Uh, and I will say, though, that it is in uh, one of my favorite mugs. Um, you know, I, I'm a positive person. I look at everything as an opportunity, kind of gets me in trouble sometimes because I, I open a lot of cans <laughs> and then we got to uh-huh. complete the work. But uh, my mug says, uh, it's from Life is Good, and it says half full. And uh, that's pretty much how I, I look at things and, and look at life. So I'm, I'm drinking my coffee to get us powered through to our big event and half full. Vicky, I love that. I have a feeling Coco Chanel would like that, too. And <laughs> Andrea, part of her idea of fashion, life is half full and it can be beautiful. Andrea France, what are you drinking? Where are you calling from today? Well, I'm calling from Chicago, which is my hometown. And I am drinking a Starbucks Red Eye. So that is um, dark coffee with a shot of espresso. And I was thinking about doing a black eye or a green eye, if you guys know what that is. A black eye is no, two shots, tell us. and a green yeah. eye is three shots of espresso. <laughs> so, um, but I, I'd love to tell you what I'd like to be drinking and the experience I had when I was drinking it. Yes, please do. Go ahead. So, so um, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to attend the uh, Toronto International Film Festival, and it was a beautiful, beautiful day in Toronto, and we were sitting outside having drinks in between two movies, and I was drinking the best chocolate martini with flecks of gold and real chocolate in it, and the sun was oh. shining down, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful day watching the people and um, looking for stars. Oh, how beautiful. That's a lovely story. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know what? We're just about ready to go to break, but I have to acknowledge we've got so many people tweeting and listening and sending questions and comments. We've got Retail Bird, who is Stephen Sparrow, who helped organize this panel. Hugs to Stephen. We have David Slavinsky at IBM. David, we haven't heard from you in ages. Delighted. And when we get to the roundtable, we're going to address David's question, which is how different is the retail approach for men and women? We will address that. We have Sheila Collins, Sheila D. Collins. 
Collins tweeting with us, of course, Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP, and we have shop.org uh, representing Vicki Al. So thank you, everyone. It's just wonderful to see this tweet activity. Guess what? We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to dive deep and headlong in a very fashionable way, of course, into a 30-minute roundtable nonstop. And my panelists today are Scott McCain, an expert on distinction, Vicki Cantrell of shop.org at the National Retail Federation, Andrea France, footwear and fashion apparel at SAP, and they're going to put on their most fashionable seatbelt because we're going to go for a real ride. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Our topic today, retail, winning the hearts, minds, and wallets of fashionistas everywhere. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back. Brad out. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. And I have a message here from uh, my co-producer, Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP. He says he's drinking his Phil's Coffee cup of love, black as the stallion, and helps him run just as fast. Oh, Malcolm, that's so poetic. Thank you very much. And... Uh, Stephen Sparrow, I'd like to, oh, he says he's having, uh, no, Stephen, we want to know what you're drinking, so tweet it to me. We're going to dive right into our roundtable right now with Scott McCain. Scott, I'm going to read some of the notes you sent me before the show about fashion retailers. Many of them just don't get, they just don't understand what you call the critical differences of the three levels of customer interaction. I'll just read one, two, and three, and then I'd love for you to expand for us. One is processing, one is service. And one is experience. So, Scott McCain, let's go. Well, thanks, but I, I think part of what's happened is that many retailers, and perhaps in particular fashion retailers, have, have lumped the terms customer service, customer experience, you know, those types of, of, of terms together as if they're synonyms, as if it's the same thing. And it's not. Those three levels are the three levels of interaction that any fashion retailer has with a customer. And they're progressive. So if you don't take care of me at level one, everything you do at levels two and three have no traction with me as a customer. Mm -hmm. Level one is processing. It's what I have a right to expect 
the moment I walk in your store, the moment I go on your website, the moment I pull out my iPhone or Android and, 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 and shop with you from a mobile situation, there are certain things I have a right to expect. I, you know, the, the, the goods are going to be good. You know, that, that they're going to be made properly, that they're going to be, mm-hmm. you know, the store is going to be clean and well-lighted, that there's going to be inventory there that I can try on. That's part of what I have a right to expect. So if that's not there, nothing else matters. Once you've done that, now you can advance to level two. Level two is service. It means that I can check out quickly. It's all those things that we do to make processing as efficient and as palatable and as enjoyable as possible for the customer. But once you've done that, now the critical phase is to go to level three. Level three is the experience. And that's where we add personalization and emotion. So to, to use Andrea's you know, analogy being at the Toronto Film Festival, you think about a film, if, if I'm seeing the microphone dangling in the top of the frame or if I see a cord <laughs> laying across the, you know, the set or you know, in, in the case of one movie, you know, Gladiator movie with Brad Pitt, if I see an airplane flying across ancient Rome you know, in the sky, <laughs> you know, it, it distracts me from the movie. That's not, not. processing. Then the second is, you know, in service, I, I expect that actors are going to, to be good. You know, they're, they're going to be engaging. They're going to be professional. But when the movie connects with me personally, when I feel what, what, what the movie wants me to feel, whether that's joy or sorrow or anger or being afraid, you know, whatever it might be, now the movie is connected with me, and that's, that's level three. I think a lot of stores want to get to level three, but because they haven't looked at those three levels progressively and because they haven't analyzed how they can be excellent and distinctive in each of those three levels, then it creates problems for them in, in creating the connectivity with customers that they desire. We only become loyal at level three because mm-hmm. loyalty requires emotion. Why would I be loyal to a line of clothing? Why would I be loyal to a particular designer? Why would I be loyal to even an individual local store unless there's some kind of emotion. And it seems to me that of all retailers out there, fashion is one, perhaps the one, that creates such significant emotion because of all the things that, that the panel has talked about earlier. It, it's what we wear. It's how our friends see us. It's, it's how our colleagues at work view us. It creates so many levels of connectivity with the people that we work with, what we live with, that, that mm-hmm. fashion has to go to that, that highest level, that third level, to really connect and be distinctive and significant with customers. Thank you, Scott. Great introduction to those topics. And I have a question for you before we get Vicki to chime in here. And then, of course, Andrea. Question is, I was amiss in not asking you in the panel to define the term fashionista. Now, we're throwing this term around fashion this, retail fashion that. So who is the fashionista? We're t- is it anybody with a couple bucks in their wallet or on their whatever whatever payment device is attached to their iPhone or whatever mobile device they have? Who is our fashionista today, Scott? That's a great question. And for me, viewing retail in distinction, I view it as the difference between a customer and a client. A client implies a more intensive relationship. So to me, it's the difference between a shopper and a fashionista. It's the difference between someone who casually comes in to buy something and someone who is really aware of trends and aware and desires that type of relationship where they do business. Okay, thank you. Vicki Cantrell, I know you have a lot to say about what Scott introduced as these three levels of customer interaction. What are your thoughts? Well, I do agree with everything he said, and, and we're going to hear a, a theme that, that comes through 
about what the consumer's expectation is. And again, all of the things he described, there is that expectation from the consumer, and that's what's, uh, what's driving it. So they're going to, again, whatever they've seen that was the, the best thing that they experienced for the way that they like to shop and or interact with a brand is what they expect from everyone. Uh, that is the biggest challenge for retailers. So right now we really see, not right now, but it's just going to continue and continue, is this personalization aspect, whether it be the experience and or the technology and or the product, is I want something that means something to me. So, you know, your question about fashionista, uh, mm-hmm. I think the fashionista is, gosh, it doesn't have one definition. It really depends on each separate person. It could be somebody that is interested in how they live their life or what they consider fashion. It's not just high fashion. They may consider themselves a fashionista based on how they put things together and how they portray themselves to the world. So I think it's a pretty wide open field. But consumers are expecting more personalized experience. So let me give you one example uh, based on the way they want it. So context-aware uh, is important. So as an example, Guilt Group, they uh, have such a following, obviously, and they have adopted different homepage experiences. They literally put out thousands of versions of emails based on their specific customer interaction. So they hmm. tailor the email. Now, why is that important? Well, at the end of last year in the last quarter, um, first of all, over a quarter of all email volume occurs during holiday season. Okay, so knowing that, last year at, in Q4, two-thirds of emails were opened on smartphones and tablets. That's still really critical. The tried-and-true email marketing is still one of the most important means to reach the online consumer. But 63% of people who, who actually were mobile subscribers are opening those indicated that they would close it or immediately delete an email that wasn't optimized for their, for their mobile device. So mm. when you think about this, so add the personalization to the ability to click on through, and again, you've got that convenience and an experience that is meaningful to that consumer. This is just one example. Thank you very much. And Vicki, I know you have a bunch more of case studies for us you're going to bring up when we get to you in the next part of the roundtable. Thank you. Andrea France, love to hear your comments on what we've discussed so far, please. Sure. So I love the way Scott has broken this down between processing, service, and experience. And frankly, in, um, what I'm saying is that too many retailers, be it fashion or not, are worried too much about the service and the experience without thinking about the processing. Let me give you an example. When when I'm discussing processing, I'm talking literally transactional data and what happens to you online or in a store. Everyone's so worried about service and experience that they're forgetting the process of just getting the customer to zero. So here's a perfect example. I'm in a fashion retailer and... I pick out a product that I love, and they don't have my size. So as a customer, I would expect them to be able to find my size or um, mail it to me without a charge because their store didn't have it. And frankly, they had to call five stores in my neighborhood to see which one had it, 
and they could put it on hold for me for, for one day. That is not rate processing. That is way under the bar as far as I'm concerned. So, yes, they gave me an element of service, but it mm-hmm. just wasn't the right kind of service for the kind of retailer it was. And I know that a lot of people have problems and limitations in the way that they service because of their technology. But in this day and age, that's just wrong. Here's another example. I'm mm-hmm. shopping online because I got a coupon in the mail with a discount code, and I go online, and I and I complete my order over and over again. I put my discount code in. I put the right number in, and it tells me the discount code is not valid. Well, oh, I'm very kill me now. I got that coupon <laughs> that day. So I right. go and I look at the, um, the dates to make sure I'm in the right range, and I was. Those oh. kinds of experiences, the actual processing and being able to um, get your customer to zero is so important, and I'm afraid that many retailers are ignoring that piece in order to get to the experience and the one-to-one piece. Interesting comment, uh, and thanks for the, the example. The personal example is great. Vicki, I have to ask you to chime in on what Andrea just shared because I'm going back to your quote or the combination. You say, perfection is the enemy of the good. Don't worry, be crappy. Sounds like Andrea said that was a crappy experience. So what do we say to that retailer, Vicki? Try harder yeah. next time? <laughs> That's a great I had way to. to take those words and and uh, and and make it that way. Okay, so let's define crappy. Okay, that means that don't make it so perfect that you can't try and fail fast. But my heavens, you have to have tested the customer experience. Uh, and and again, you're not always going to have all the perfect technology in the mm-hmm. background because that does take a long time to bring all these things together, to know what my inventory is across all my channels, really be able to do this. But put something in place that keeps you current. Uh, and, and even if you're doing some hand-holding in the, in the back of house to make it a good customer experience, again, the expectations are going to kill us because the customer has no idea the difficulty of, of getting to that. So one of the things I think is, is important here is make sure that their experience, and Andrea's example was great, make sure their experience is good for whatever they're interacting on. Um, again, you might want to make sure it's, it's pretty buttoned down before you actually put it out where a customer's going to see it, but if they're going to interact mm-hmm. with you on your tablet, then you better have a tablet-optimized site not just a mobile optimized site because things are very different on the on the tablet. They have retailers have to get that tablet experience correct or risk mm-hmm. losing credibility, sales, customers, etc. Um, now we see retailers really paying attention to all of the different uh, different ways that the customer can can interact. Are they getting it right? Not yet, but not keep yet. trying. Keep trying. Scott McCain, I'm sure you have something to comment on what Vicki and Andrea just shared. Talk to me. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, Andrea's point outlines one of the critical aspects of, of level one of processing, and, and that is that customers don't want you to make it right. They want you to get it right. And mm. getting it right means that if all of the things that she endured in, in those experiences that she had, if those aren't right, it doesn't matter how much the clerk is smiling. It doesn't matter about a refund. It, at that point, the, the whole, your whole experience with, with the, the retailer is soiled. And so 
all of those things, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we've gotten so focused on the experience, and don't get me wrong, I mean, the, the experience is critical. We've got to be able to do that. But the only way that that happens is if we go back and examine it and, and get it right. Thank you very much. I'm going to go into uh, one of Vicki Cantrell's talking points, go in a slightly different direction. We're talking about the whole experience and the processing and the service. But let's talk about how, the how. Vicki sent me the following note. She says, the faster a retailer can create, internally communicate, and adopt a flexible organizational structure, and that's what I want to focus on, Vicki, the closer they will be to the needs of the consumer as those needs change. So let's talk about the how. Let's give some advice advice or instruction, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of what is the retailer supposed to do to enable them to understand the channels and to optimize their communications and to recognize what it takes and be able to give that unique, using Scott's word, unique customer experience that will delight the fashionista. Vicki Cantrell, talk to me. So this is a, a big focus for everyone because the consumer is driving everything. How your organization is structured is really critical. And it was uh, sort of it, it especially critical for multi-channel organizations, so people that do, in fact, sell online and have brick and mortar and, and et cetera. So, the, you know, even pulling in some of their wholesale channels and all the different ways a customer can interact. So this has been a massive training and organizational effort because before uh, people were in silos. Often the digital division operated separately. Things have certainly changed with how much the consumer is online. And so retailers are really trying to understand between marketing, digital, IT, mar- uh, merchandising, you know, how you merchandise a site and how you merchandise a store are, are very different. So how are they dealing with this? How are they moving away from silos to, to high-performing teams that are giving the best experience for the customer? So number one, you have to say, Every single person has to look at this through the eyes of the customer, not through their division, not through their particular business line of sales, etc. What is the customer seeing? Look at everything through that. And for big organizations that have a lot of structure in place, how are they going to do this? So we have some creative examples by some of our, of our retailers. So, so Nordstrom knew they had to think differently. They had to think more I don't know, uh, open, okay? So Mm -hmm. what did they do? They went and bought uh, Outlook. And when they did this, it gave, they actually bought it for the mindset of how those people worked. Wow. And and that's how they looked at it. And they, they took that DNA of the way those people think and they sprinkled it through the organization and made those people talk about because they just think differently. Uh, Neiman Marcus just bought the German e-tailer, MyTeresa.com understand the global fashion biz. So where they can't adopt it quickly enough, they're going out and figuring out how they gain that knowledge. So they're continuing to to do this. What we suggest is start, for heaven's sakes. Get small mm-hmm. collaboration groups across areas. Get merchandising online and merchandising uh, in-store together. Have them work with the marketing. Pull in IT to figure out what technology. Have those small collaboration groups inside the organization to start to affect groups that are working together. Vicki, thank you. I have two points. Number one, I believe the retailer has to care first. It has to matter. It has to become part of their mindset, their DNA about what they're going to deliver. If they don't care, 
What the blank? They're not going to do it. So applause to Nordstrom. Now, second point, you brought up that Nordstrom bought Outlook, and I want to spell that because some of our listeners might think we talked about buying Outlook. That's not <laughs> it, kids. It's the French word meaning high or elevated. It's Oat, H-A-U-T-E-L-O-O-K. Uh, it's a, what do we call those? A um, When a word sounds like another word, I can't remember. Homonym. It's a homonym. It sounds like Outlook, but they didn't buy Outlook. So there. Andrea France, I'd love for you to comment on what Vicky just shared with us. Thoughts? I couldn't agree more with Vicki. Um, we have a saying that is customers do not shop channels. They shop your brand or your store. So it doesn't matter where they shop. It matters how they shop and the experience. So I couldn't agree more with Vicki in the fact that she's talking about using little groups to get mm-hmm. to the root cause of all the organizational structure that happens inside a company. And we actually had a question about some how fashionistas um, are defined for men or something yes. about a question for men. I'd yes, like it was David Slavensky. Please talk yeah. to me. What, what, what's your thought on that, Vic, on uh, Andrea? Well, I wanted to mention also that Nordstrom just uh, purchased Trunk Club, which is this really, really interesting shopping model. It was for men, and it's a personalized stylist, just like Nordstrom does, and for men because they don't want to go in the store and they want people to know what they want and, you know, get it to them quickly. You would actually get a trunk of designer clothes, and through trial and error and working with your stylist online, you would refine your look and you you can order trunks for as large or as small as you want. So Nordstrom thought this was a perfect experience for men as opposed to the outlook for women. So they purchased Trunk Club a couple months ago, and they're incorporating that into their business as well. So kudos to them for thinking like how a customer wants to shop. I love that. And that's a comment that was shared with us on Twitter by David Slavensky. Thank you, David. Uh, let us know if you heard that. We'd love to know your comment on that. Scott McCain, you're a guy. What do you think? Trunk well, Club, are they on the right track? Talk so to me. cool that Andy Gray and David brought that up because I just ordered my first trunk. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. It's so cool because um, I, they assign a specific advisor to you. And there's a particular look. I, I'm kind of a fashionista, I guess, because there's, there's a look that I have that I have. To, I want to be consistent in my look because of you know what I do in terms of speaking and videos and, and all that that we have out there on the web. And I think that that helps my business to have a consistent fashion look. And so mm-hmm. I had a, a, a great consul, you know, consultation with with the uh, with the person at Trunk Club, and so she's putting my trunk together uh, that's consistent with the look that I desire, yet can kind of take it up another level and tweak the fashion a bit. So I, I, it, it's like <laughs> it's like Christmas in September. I can't, I can't wait to get my, uh, my trunk. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Listen, we're uh, about eight minutes away or six minutes away from taking our break, and I want to focus on uh, one of the talking points in Andrea France's notes. This needs to be brought into our conversation. I know we have a vast amount to cover. We're just going to cover a little bit, but... Andrea, you said fashion is influenced by celebrity, TV, the 60s rage with Mad Men, movies, art, and music. So how does this influence what retailers have to be prepared to do? Uh, what does this say to the retailer? They need to watch TV. They need to go to the movies. They need to plug in Instagram and Pictogram, and they need to keep up with, with the trends more than they might have when they planned their line a year or two ago, their line of merchandise. What What is the need here for 
retailers to keep up with the like the likes and the fashion fashion outlook I should I should say using that outlook word again uh, Vicky <laughs> of of today's fashionistas Andrea well, um, that is such a good question about what a retailer needs to do. But, you know, it goes back to Coco Chanel's quote that fashion is not just the red dress or, or the little black dress. Fashion is all around you. And people are influenced by celebrity. They're influenced by television. They're influenced by movies and art and music. And there's, there's sort of cycles where we go back in time. So we're in the 60s rage now. And... You know, we come out of a 70s rage, and um, I think that style uh, trends are influenced by all these different kinds of things. So you're right. When you're a specialty retailer, you have got to know what's going to happen when the um, more like seasons ahead in front of you. You have to know what movies are coming out. You have to know what books are going to be read. You have to know what's happening in the future in the world around you. And my concern is that many retailers are sort of stuck in the moment and maybe stuck in the season and stuck in the season after the season. And sometimes seasons can be two weeks, as we know, right? But mm-hmm. but I really think we need to project out and look and see what's happening in the world. I like that. And that does go back very nicely, ties into the Coco Chanel quote. Vicki Cantrell, agree with Andrea? I do. And I think a, a different way to uh, look at that is instead of thinking about your consumer as it relates to what product can I sell them, uh, I've we doing some work here, and we were talking to, to somebody who has this marketing background, and he says he learns so much about someone by saying, hey, what kind of car do you drive? And then ah. you really find out whether they're <laughs> a car, whether they're passionate about cars, and that leads to other conversations of, of why they are or are not passionate about cars or based on what kind of car they drive, what that means to their life. And do they then go to sporting events, et cetera? And I think this is what's really important, that the customer is more holistic and not – when retailers start to understand, it kind of dovetails into what Andrea said about movies, TV, et cetera. Customers are, have a very broad view of things and how that translates to your brand and or your products. Instead of selling them a product, figure out more about them. They have a lot more – things coming at them. They, there are many more things that influence them and affect them than just your product. Thank you. Scott McCain, thoughts on this thread? Yeah, we, we interviewed thousands of customers for a book I did a few years ago called What Customers Really Want. And we basically asked them two things. You know, what do you want in the retail experience and what are you receiving in the retail experience? And we, the interesting part of the research to me was we, we started by separating it. Here's what you know, folks in automotive think. Here's what folks in retail think. Here's what folks in fashion, you know, those kinds of things. And we realized customers were saying the same thing, regardless of the industry uh, to, to whom we were speaking. And it, it really backs up Vicky's point is that we tend to think uh, very, um, we're insular in our thinking because we, we look at how customers are impact, impacted by our products and by our brand. And as she says, customers are they're blending the experiences they have. They're, they're blending what they're seeing in the movie and what they're seeing on television and what mm-hmm. they're seeing in a club and all of those kinds of things 
to, to reach these decisions. So the more that we can involve them in terms of the totality of their experiences to help us understand where we need to take our brand, I think the better off that we are. Bonnie, you know, I have a great example Mm -hmm. of that. Sure. So what we're really finding is that uh, video is is becoming so important. And this is exactly to Scott's point that he just made about what's influencing people. And it's, you know, if you are uh, viewing a video and seeing how something looks, et cetera, you're almost two times more likely to make a purchase. And the interesting part about that is how people are using video to interact, and this is going to grow and grow. People will be shopping right out of the video. That It does exist now, but in very limited way. And think about that. You put a video in front of them, which is how they interact with everything, and they can shop right from the video. Wow. And I want to bring in another tech point here from Andrea France. Andrea, I'm going to read this statement and have you, uh, we may or may not skip the break. Not sure. Let's see how this goes. Andrea said to me, uh, 3D printing will evolve to customized fashion and accessories. It'll transform personalized sizing because we'll have body scans, kids. Personalized styling, it will disrupt the current fashion supply chains no matter what the lead time or how many seasons per brand or retailer. What an idea. How innovative is it? We know 3D printing is coming it's getting cheaper and it's expanding its reach andrea fashion really what are we going to get on our our 3d printer are we going to give people a 3d printer for christmas or hanukkah and say there go make your own wardrobe how will it work (laughs) well um (laughs) i can't tell you exactly how it works and i do think it's it's out a little bit out there but what i really want to say is that i think it's closer than people give it credit for Mm-hmm. And I really think that retailers need to watch this trend. I just read the other day that they're 3D printing a car. So oh. if you can imagine a car that works, that they're no. 3D printing, you no. can certainly imagine going online, picking out a pattern that a designer made, and printing your dress to go to the club that night. Right? Wes. So wow. It's really, really, really not here yet. But it's going to change. I just read something um, Monday that said that there is a footwear company who is doing 3D scans of your feet. And what they do then is they send your scan to Portugal and you can have custom made shoes for your feet. And they're using 3D body scans in order to do this. So I think this is closer than we're giving it credit for. And I think the technology is going to evolve to a place where it's really going to happen. It is going to be such a disruptor in retail because think about the fact that your stores might not have to have inventory. Maybe they just have samples. Think about how much inventory you buy. Think about the implications for your supply chain and how you may have to change the way you run products through your supply chain because maybe now you're just using patterns and intellectual property and I can print my dress with any trim that I like in any Mm -hmm. color that I like. So like I said, we're way far away from it, but we're closer than we think and we need to start thinking about how how we bring this to market. 
Thank you. Scott McCain, I want a quick comment from you, and then I'm going to try to take a break before we go to our crystal ball oh, I'm, I'm predictions round. That one. I know you are. I can hear you. Talk to me. Showrooming, and I, I wrote an e-book about it. And, you know, it, 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 it's like the movie experience again, because why haven't you know, DVDs and streaming movies eliminated movie theaters? It's because we want the shared communal experience. You know, we want to, many of us want to go to the theater, and we want to have that experience. The problem is, if I go in your store and the experience isn't distinctive enough to make me want to continue to come back, then she's exactly right. Andrew's exactly right. Why wouldn't we do it 100% online when we can get that kind of service? So, again, it gets back to the importance of the fashion retailer creating some kind of distinctive experience that, that encourages and, and, and compels people to return to their stores. Thank you. You know what? This is going so well, I don't have the heart to take a break. I've been going back and forth with Brad in the Skype chat saying, take a break. Don't take a break. Take. This is just too good. I don't want to stop the stop this momentum. My, my three fashionista panelists, they're wonderful. I think we're just going to go right into the crystal ball round. Brad says, LOL, skip. Thank you. I, I just am in that mood today. When, when the panel is really going full force, what's the point in taking a break, right? You all have the energy, and I know you're drinking something to energize you. I think we're going to launch right now into, we have eight minutes left, uh, Scott McCain, let's go to the crystal ball segment. Now, I'm expecting that the crystal ball you have brought out for the show, for your predictions, is something magnificent and distinctive. Is it a Steuben? Is it what kind of crystal ball is it? Just give me a glimmer of fashion here and then tell us. I'll give you exactly two minutes to tell us if we fast forward to 2020, what will be different about retailers winning the hearts, minds, and wallets of fashionistas? That's a lot to, to digest. Scott McCain, go. <laughs> I think there's going to be two areas. One is going to be in terms of the people, you know, in, in terms of how organizations view the people that work in their in their fashion retail stores. Uh, one of the fascinating things that uh, was brought up, Vicky brought up uh, uh, Nordstrom earlier. When Nordstrom opened at Indianapolis many years ago, it was really fascinating to me that the only people that they wouldn't hire, that they wouldn't interview, were people that had worked at other retail stores, other department stores, other fashion stores, because it was easier to, to ed- educate and train a person in the Nordstrom way from the beginning than to get them to unlearn how it was done mm-hmm. at other stores and retrain them in a, in a Nordstrom apo- approach. I found that fascinating. I think that many organizations aren't focusing enough on their managers who can lead their people in these individual stores to create distinctive experiences. Millennials are not loyal to stores and to organizations. They are loyal Mm -hmm. to managers. They are loyal to people. Every bit of research I've seen indicates that. So what we're going to have to see from, from the leading fashion retailers is a focus on the people that are in their stores, not just the material. Second, I think the convergence of mobile and the experience that you can have will change how we fashion retail. So what we're going to have is a compelling experience at the store, you know, to use another retailer like Apple does at the Apple store, Mm -hmm. even though you can order it and find out about it online, so that people get the information through our mobile sites and through our websites, and they come to the store to close the deal, to realize Mm -hmm. that's what they want to wear. That's the look that they want to have. So this convergence between mobile and in-store shopping And the people that are there once we get to the store, I think, are going to be the two significant changes that we're going to see in the future for fashion retailing. Thank you, Scott. You didn't tell me what kind of crystal ball we're using today. Is it something distinctive? Come on, play with me here. What are you? (laughs) What are you looking at? Come on. I'm looking at the Styrofoam Hotel coffee (laughs) cup. 
right now. Not even the tea leaves, the coffee cup. Oh, I thought it was going to be something amazing. Thank you for your predictions. I wish. (laughs) Oh, next time, a little birdie tells me you're coming back on for retail part two next week. So I I, want to know. That's a a homework assignment for you, Scott McCain. (laughs) I I hope so. I have a disco ball I can loan you if you want to. A real one from a hotel from way back in the 60s with lights and everything, and it spins. I know, I know. Be well, still, I am my heart. The Magic Kingdom, so maybe that's part of the inspiration. <laughs> I love it, Vicky Cantrell. You're up. Two minutes. Give me your predictions, please. Go. Ah, couple different areas. Number one, if we go all the way out to 2020, I think the organization is going to look incredibly different. I think it could be even for the more forward-thinking retailers that you won't look at an org chart and see a CMO and a CIO and a head of digital and et cetera, I think that the titles are going to be different. They're going to have strategy, customer experience in the titles, and I think that the silos are going to look very different. So I think the organization, as it stands today, will be well on its way to disappearing. From the standpoint of what's happening in the industry, completely agree that experience will always be critical. It will be a very different experience. It will be very broader than just shopping. The store is not going away. But what you do in a store, and I put that in quotes, will look very different. Um, And I do think that the personalization, the maker movement, whether it be 3D or accessing, we're in 1.0 of getting the consumer to really help design things and getting their input and designing around them. We have examples. We have ModCloth. They, they have the consumer via reviews actually alter the actual product they're going to end up making. We have Calabora, who is, who is an online maker movement, make my stuff and, and send it. So this is all 1.0. This is all there. It's really going to dovetail into 3D, etc. Uh, and then finally, I think we need to watch very closely because what's happening with the growth of marketplaces right now is going to significantly alter what the business looks like in 2020. Thank you very, very much, Vicki. And let's turn to Andrea France. I saved two minutes for you, Andrea. What are your predictions? Talk to me. Thanks. So first of all, you sold my disco ball because that was <laughs> my ball. You know, as a child of the seventies, disco revolution. But anyway, I was there. I was teaching the hustle, by the way, to the masses. <laughs> I was, but let's not. I didn't tell anybody, so let's keep it a secret. Oh, Go ahead, funny. Andrea. <laughs> so um, my disco ball is going to predict that I will be able to print out my shoes for the outfit that I wore last night with higher heels because I didn't have time to shorten my pants. (laughs) 2020, what's happening? What do you think? Is 3D going to be everywhere? You're going to get those shoes on your own 3D printer? No, I don't think it's going to be that soon, but I do think it really is coming up. I really, really do. Okay. Anybody else have any? We have uh, one minute left for any roundup on the predictions. Anybody else got any other thoughts? Because I'm ready you know, to go to close. I remember our office paid $10,000 for a laser printer, and now I can get it for a couple hundred bucks at, at Office Max. And, and it makes me wonder if all the things we're saying about we won't be able to 3D print out a pair of shoes, who knows what it's going to be 20 years from now. And I think it's going to be the one thing I think we'd all agree on is it's going to be fascinating. 
it's going to be. And do you remember there was an article in the press about six months ago about a, a young researcher, a woman at Harvard, who had invented a printing of lipstick on a 3D printer. Does everybody remember that? And she was being challenged, well, where I are do. we going to get the colors and the pigments? Remember? Yeah. Absolutely. And then they, she said, well, maybe not quite so soon. Okay. I have some predictions of my own. I can predict what shows you're going to be hearing coming up. So let's see now. It's Wednesday. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers this afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to be hosting another edition, number two of our new series, The Customer Edge with Game Changers. Next Wednesday, 3 p.m., we're going to be having the Internet of Things with Game Changers making its debut tomorrow morning, Future of Business with Game Changers Season 2, alternating next week with another edition of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Then Monday, we roll it all back. We start again the week with HR Trends with Game Changers, Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Then Tuesday, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, Season 3. And I'll be right back here next Wednesday morning with Coffee Break with Game Changers. I have a quick shout-out to our tweeters extraordinaire, Malcolm Kimberlin. Thank you very much. David Slavinsky, wonderful to see you. Mohammed Amir, biz, at BizUser. We haven't seen you in a while. Welcome back. She Commerce, Sheila D. Collins. Thank you. Retail Bird, that's Stephen Sparrow. Kudos to Stephen for putting together a marvelous panel. And Digital Diva is back. Thanks for tweeting. And I have to say sincere thanks to my fashionista experts, Scott McCain, our expert of and at distinction, Vicki Cantrell at the National Retail Federation. Andrea France at SAP. Thank you to Stephen Sparrow, Malcolm, and Brad in the Business Channel team. And here we go. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. But now I have to say it should be a very chic and fashionable seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition, actually number 152, of Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.